good morning or afternoon or evening wherever you are and whatever time it is this is pamela fagan hutchins and you have stumbled across um wine women and writing a part of authors on the air global radio network i am excited to be connected this morning we've had horrible storms where i live and sometimes that makes the internet a little less willing to play with me um a few quick announcements before we get to the meat of the program, which is that we play per Pamela's personal book club and interview the authors that I love to read and want to share with you guys um, in my quest to uh, explore complex, authentic female characters and often the genesis of those characters and the real life stories sometimes they're based upon and let you guys know that this has been a big week. Um, in the world of Pamela, in the world of Maggie. Let's see if I have the right books here. This little guy's been number one on Amazon for a couple of days, um, and that's been pretty exciting. This is my first in the Maggie trilogy. And as a result, I want you guys to go out and read the next two, which came in fast release, Dead Pile, which came out just a couple of days ago. Also, and Sick Puppy. Also, I wanted to let you know that I finished the giveaway on the Labradite Ring, and the winner was Karen Hickey. Congratulations to Karen Hickey. I'm sure it will be beautiful on your finger, and I hope that it is transformative to you, like it was to me as I was writing the Maggie books. So, um, for past episodes of Wine, Women, and Writing, go out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com, and you'll also there see um, not just the, the uh, old episodes, but you'll see the upcoming episodes because I want you to be able to get these books ahead of time and read them so that when we have these guests on, you are super ready to um, participate in our exploration of the characterization. So drum roll, da -da 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 -da. with no further ado, I wanna introduce you guys to a wonderful writer and a wonderful friend of mine, Kay Kendall. Kay, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's been, um, feels like it's been a long time coming, but maybe that's just because you and I have known each other through the Houston writing community for, um, I guess it's been a couple of years now. <laughs> I think about seven. It, it has a way of adding up quickly, doesn't it? Kate. Um, Kay writes wonderful historical mysteries, and the one we're going to be talking about today is the latest in her um, Austin Star series, and it's called After You've Gone. And uh, the the book previous, was it the book previous, or was it your first Austin Star that won the Silver Falchion a couple of years ago? It was the previous one. It was the, I've had three published, and it was the second one. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Rainy Day Women. Um. So one of the things I find fascinating about Kay's books before we dive into her most recent is that the titles are all um, song titles that are uh, based on songs of those periods. Can you tell us, tell, tell all of us about how it came to be that your fascination with music um, manifested itself in this way? My first two books are set in the 60s. And of course, there's wonderful rock music and I'm particularly a fan of Bob Dylan. And Dylan to me is kind of like Shakespeare. You can find anything in Dylan, anything in Shakespeare, any mood, anything, any event. So um, I took Desolation Row as my first one because it's, uh, it's kind of a gloomy book because the poor Austin Starr's husband gets uh, put in jail, of course, wrongly. And he was on Desolation Row. 
Um, and I never have trouble finding my titles because uh, when the books are set in the 60s, I can go to Bob Dylan. And my most recent one, I went back to the 20s to find a song, After You've Gone, that is still covered by artists today like Fiona Apple. And those lyrics were not under copyright anymore, so I could even have the stanza at the beginning of the book. I have total jealousy about that. That's the perfect reason to use um, a, a song out of a, a period that you want to be able to quote from because I use songs in my books, but I can't quote because they're all under copyright. The title's not copyrighted, but the lyrics are. So I, I love that. And have you been a lifelong music lover? Is that what led you in that direction? Or was it because of um, the period or because of your Austin star character that first took you in that direction? Or was it coming from Kay? Because I wanted to write about the 60s, I thought taking at least to a baby boomer, if you take a title of a Bob Dylan song, it immediately says, this is what we're doing, baby. We're doing this. <laughs> and so it was like a quick way to do it. And, um, and that worked for me. And it, it sort of set a mood. So, um, I mean, I, I love Dylan. I love music. Uh, it just is a synergy that worked for me. I, I think it was it's really awesome. And if you go on to Goodreads or Amazon and you read the reviews about how well you captured the period, I think going with something like that sets the tone immediately. And it it speaks to a reader and it says, this book is for you. You're going to find this interesting. Here's where you're going to go to is this place and time. So you're a genius. You're a genius, Kay. <laughs> well, I know about that, that I was particularly struck by with the second book because it's set in rainy Vancouver and rainy British Columbia and it's a background of women's liberation. The song title, Rainy Day Women, was just perfection. And that it, made me very happy. It is perfection. And again, um, before we dive into the most recent one, when I think about um, your first two books and how this series came into existence, um, I think of the close ties between some of the things about your past and how you were shaped by times and places um, led to these books. So you mentioned Canada. Um, tell the readers a little bit about how, uh, how some of the elements of the places you've lived and, and the, uh, the times you've lived through led to those settings of this book. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, um, I like to say I'm on the leading edge of the baby boom generation. <laughs> My first husband uh, became a war resistor uh, during the Vietnam War. And he, when he said to me, you know, I'm either going to have to go to jail or go to Canada, was thin and scrawny, not like my World War II dad. And I thought, oh, the Army won't want you. And so I said, well, honey, you can't go to jail. If you go to Canada, I'll go with you. Don't be silly. And <laughs> months later, he said, well, here are the graduate student catalogs that we need to look through in Canada. And I thought, oh, my, what have I done? And I given a promise and off we went to Canada. And so I was there a long time. And when I remarried, I'm we married a nice Canadian man who Pamela and her husband have met. Yes. And um, I was struck by 
the change in cultures because when I was moving to Canada, people said you will have no culture shock in Canada. It's exactly like the 51st state. I was terribly wrong. And <laughs> so I had my first two books were passion projects. Uh, I wanted to show Canada as a unique foreign culture, particularly to somebody who was shell-shocked to be there. Um, and uh, so there were some things I wanted to say, but also to be entertaining. And um, I like travel. So in each of my books, I like to show a different place mm -hmm. and evoke the place and evoke the time. When I, I know when I read, I it matters to me the time period and uh, the location. Um, I have, there are some places that I have absolutely no interest in, and I won't say what they are because I think that's me. So, <laughs> if it's a strong book and it's in a place I don't care about, then I will read about it. But it has to climb a very strong, it, 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 it has a lot to overcome. Whereas the places that I love, let's say England, that's an easy one. I'll, anything in England, I'll read. Um, there's some other places too. Um, so time period, locale, things that I have experienced in those places mean a lot to me. And that's what bring color to my book, my books, I think. Do you end up having to do a lot of research or because you're going back to places and times that interest you, are you able to write from um, personal knowledge or does it still end up being a lot of research? It's not a lot of research. I may, well, my first two books, I just had to check facts. Um, and I also, because I was writing about uh, the background of Canadian law that I, criminal law that I know nothing about, I found an Ontario Supreme Court judge who checked my book for me. And oh, how nice. Oddly enough, I live in Texas. My family's from Texan. Um, he was called the Texas judge because he was more of a rip snorter than his <laughs> traditional in Canada. And I thought that was kind of fun. That is kind of fun. I bet he, I bet he loved it. Um, I should warn everyone that's listening that we do have our normal Boston Terrier snores going on. We have a choice, Boston Terrier snores or Boston Terrier yips, because there is no way to lock this dog in a place that he doesn't beg to be back with me. So it's our normal mood. And I also want to point out that I am having this moment of feeling guilt about my lack of exercise. When I look at Kay's room behind her and I see an exercise um, piece of equipment and books. So um, Kay, kudos to your balance. <laughs> I think it's like, I call this the writer's lair because lair, <laughs> like, I think you just, it's, it's dark, it's messy. And apologies to you. I meant to clean up the background. When I worked at a job nine to five, one of my mottos was never trust anybody with a clean desk. And I, <laughs> I kind of live my life that way. There's too much clutter, but I'm just rushing from project to project. And sometimes when companies come e coming, I stop and clean up, but it doesn't last long. I always, I always uh, try to plan company coming every couple of months just so I'll have a reason to clean because otherwise it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's just going to get dirty again. <laughs> right. It's very helpful when company comes on a regular schedule. So let's segue from your two first 
fabulous Austin Star Books, where Austin Star was the star, to a departure for you, which was staying within your same world, but taking it to a different time period. What led you to move to family history, if you will, for the for the Star Clan? And you changed locations. Yes, there were two two impetuses for that. First was uh, even among the baby boom generation, some people do not love the '60s. If they lived through them, they thought they were really hard to get through. Um, I didn't have that experience. I thought I, I love thinking about them. Um, but uh, so I thought, well, I need to shuck that time period and see how I do with that. The second thing was I was raised with um, a background of a very strong Texas grandmother. And her, she was given a man's name. She was named for her father, who was a judge. Her name was Walter. Uh, and I always mused about what it was like to, in that era, in the early 1900s, be such a strong woman and to have a man's name. And just it's, it was, it's a constant in my life. I would really just daydream about her. And it bubbled up. And I had wanted to take the Austin Star saga back to Texas. And by doing a prequel, I could do that. And setting it in the 20s, which was um, a pretty um, bubbly time and a lot of chaos and change, was an exciting place to put it. And everything kind of just came together that way. Now, what I did do, this is not... Um, at all what my grandmother's life was. It was a tiny bit, but the thing that I really had to change was my grandmother's name that everybody called her was Wadi. And I thought that was really, really ugly. <laughs> and so it was not, not a, a big leap to call her Wally and for short. And I liked that a lot. And she was raised with hunting dogs and you know, rifles to shoot deer and all that. And so they're littered through the books. But I can I can promise you, well, as far as I know, that my grandmother never ran a, up against uh, Al Capone thugs the way <laughs> heroin does. But she would have if she could have. <laughs> oh, yes, she definitely would have. And I'm sure she would have faced them down. <laughs> and so, again, for this very different time period, was this something that based on like stories from your grandmother and stuff that you were able to just immerse yourself in right from memory or did this one require a little more digging for you to get right? I read a lot. Well, there were a lot of stories um, and a, a sense of time. I already had a sense of place. What I needed to do was when I took Wally and her maiden aunt on the road in the ended up in sinful Galveston during the 20s when there was a lot of rum running and uh, illegal activity. That is what I needed to check in detail. Right. Uh, everything else was was not so much. Um, I think when I've I read a lot about how you do an historical mystery without burdening it too much with detail. And the rule of thumb is you can do a lot of mystery, uh, I'm sorry, you can do a lot of research into history, but you leave most of it off the page. 
and yeah. you use it as a way of, you know, just a little salt and pepper on your nice juicy steak. I love how you say that, you know, and I would, I would liken that to anything that makes your book unique, but could burden it. One of the things that, because I write in different locations that I, um, really struggled with in the beginning was for accents. How do you show differentiation in speech pattern and accents without burdening a reader with every sentence slowing down for you to think about pronunciation and things like that? And it was, again, it was going with the just a little bit of salt and pepper with your juicy steak. Other than that, leave it alone and let the reader imagine it. And I love that you did that because it can really slow a book down, especially a mystery where you you really want to keep it going. So kudos to you, Kay. Kudos. You always do a lovely job, but you did a lovely job with that as well. And with respect to your plot line, did that is that something that came out of your fruitful imagination or was this um, something that was inspired by either your grandmother's life or the times or where did it come from? Well, the inciting incident the major death that hits the book was sadly happened to a friend of ours. Oh, I'm not going to say what it was because I want it to be a shock, but um, it was a real accident. And when it happened, I mean, it just stuck in my head and I thought, you know, that could be, that might not have been an accident. That could have been Mm -hmm. and made to look like an accident. And there are just, I think when things stick in your head, like my grandmother did forever, and in this accident did for three years, uh, it's it's speaking to you. It's saying, use me. And, Absolutely. And I find that the most interesting things that we can write about are those where it just takes a little leap of the imagination to get to them from, from real life, especially with a mystery, because you want people to be invested and um, a little bit scared and that that could have been their life. That could have happened to their neighbor. That could have happened to their grandmother. So I love that, um, that you're able to find inspiration in the things around you. And speaking of the things around you, um, how many bunnies are currently living in the Kindle household? Right now, <laughs> we have only three, um, and oh. they're precious. Our our height was seven, and um, at that point, we realized how strongly I am allergic to the poor things. So um, we agreed that uh, we would eventually get down to two. They are not long-lived animals, and they're right. delicate health. So, but we agreed to, to do two, but every time we get to two, there's a sweet little one that hops by and says, oh, I need to be home. <laughs> so, so we, most of the time now we have three and they live in Bruce's study and he talks to his babies. They started out being my thing and then they became Bruce's because he's not allergic and I just enjoy having them and he we, we just love them and they're just precious. So for those of you that haven't seen, like for instance, Kay's lovely author portrait with bunnies and things like that, they do bunny rescue. And this is a, a labor of love 
even more dramatically um, exhibiting that love because Kay is definitely allergic to these bunnies and just can't break her bunny addiction. <laughs> so I, I love it. I have a daughter that is the same way and her dream is to have like a bunny rescue ranch one day. So we'll see if she ever gets there, but that's what she wants. Now, what's coming next for all of us that are following your writing and the greater world of Austin Star? We going to stay with grandmother in the in the 20s are we going back to a later era and back to Austin or have you made up your mind yes I've made up my mind it's going <laughs> to tangled up in blue another Dylan song it's going to be in two time periods it's going to be set in 1989 uh, flashbacks to 1969 which happens right after my second book and by doing that, I can put Austin Starr together with her grandmother, Wally, and oh. solve a mystery together. I love that. I love that. I knew you would do something fun to, um, to tie your timelines together and your characters together. So when uh, Tangled in Blue, what, what's the target um, time frame that we should start looking for? Tangled oh, in blue. My, I wish I was as fast a writer as you. Fast for me would be I'd get it done in a year, uh, 18 months from now. Um, okay. But this is going to be a trickier uh, task for me because I'm going to have two narrators and two timelines. And right. so I'm going to try to accomplish something I haven't done before. So And that does get tricky. I haven't done that before. But have you started it? Are you into I'm plotting it? Um, yeah. I'm going to think of how I'm going to do the two timelines and the and the narrations going back and forth. And I have a couple of bad guys, and I haven't determined exactly. I know who the red herring bad guys are, but I haven't decided exactly who was the big meanie in the, all the awful things that happened. It's the fun part. The possibilities are still endless and uh, you're not having to find your way to one particular ending yet. That gets trickier and trickier. So before we start wrapping up our time together today, are there, um, where's the best place for people to go if they'd like to read more Thanks K interviews, um, things like that? Um, do you have a website or do you like people to go to your Facebook page? What's your preferred landing for Kay Kendall? I have a website, austinstar.com, and Austin is spelled I-N, like the state capital of Texas. Okay. R is double R, and you can read about my books there. I have, um, I blog once a month on the Stiletto Gang, which is a bunch of women who write mysteries, and I'm very, very active on Facebook, both in my personal page which is uh, K.L. Kendall, and K. Kendall author is my professional page. Awesome. Um, yeah. So you guys go check that out. And um, the uh, the series 
is an Austin star. It's Kay Kendall. And so with the first book, Desolation Row, that's where you start. If you haven't been um, running the table on Kay yet, Desolation Row, Rainy Day Women. And after you've gone and then be looking after you have enjoyed those in the next year and a half or so for signs that Tangled in Blue will be coming your way. We'll, we'll have to be patient, but we're excited about that. I'm excited about that. You'll get Wally and Austin with that book yeah go ahead Pamela if I could I think um because after you've gone is a prequel and because it's um proved to be a big hit with readers as a matter of fact I have one reader in Pennsylvania who has read the whole book to her cats to her cat <laughs> she has 11 cats and three of them sat and listened to her <laughs> and they she was so successful that she started with prequel after you've gone then she read the next two and i think human readers can do the same thing you can awesome. start with after you've gone the one that's in the 20s that has a lighter approach that i think will be uh very suitable for your readership mm -hmm. awesome yeah the um the definitely after you've gone had a lighter feel i wouldn't call it cozy, but it was a lighter feel, amateur sleuth um, mystery than the, the darker 60s um, and not dark. It's not, we're not talking about psychological thriller here in Hannibal Lecter, but a darker feel um, 60s mysteries. And so that's a great idea. Start with grandma, go work on to Austin. And that pretty much exhausts the time that we have for today. So for starters, I need to say what I always do at this point, because my wonderful producer, Pam Stack, requires it. Here you go, Pam. This has been a copyrighted production solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, Wine, Women, and Writing with Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and we thank you for being here. Kay, thank you for being here. It is wonderful to see your face, and I wish it was in person so I could also hug your neck, but thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. It's a delight to see you. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. And for those of you out there, um, check out the show for next week uh, on my website or catch one of the past episodes, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, or pick up the new um, Maggie Trilogy releases, Livewire, Sick Puppy, and Dead Pile. Until next time, I hope that you find yourself a great book to read this week. I know that I certainly will, or maybe two or three. Bye, everybody.